continue the series that we've been going through for many months now on life together. This is a topical series that we are doing to focus on many different topics about life in the kingdom, life in God's church, and things that we can be instructed from to be uh, a more wholesome church, a more wholesome people for God and His service. And so uh, the, the series was broken down into three parts, uh, the first part being community, the second part being truth, and the third part being mission. And so we are still within the second part, and today uh, the topic we're going to be looking at is stewardship. Uh, to whom much is given, much is required. If you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke, tap, Luke chapter 12, we're going to be That'll be our primary text this morning in verses 42 through 48, but uh, there'll be a few moments before I get there. But if you want to go ahead and turn there, you can. Luke chapter 12. No doubt when you hear me say the word steward or stewardship, you've heard this word a lot. If you've been in the church for any length of time or even a short time, you've heard uh, the word steward or stewardship. And so, the first thing I want to do this morning is just kind of get a good definition of what a steward is. What does a steward do? Um, if, you depict, if you were to pick up a dictionary, any dictionary, any good dictionary, it would probably give you the kind of def- definition like this. A steward is a servant in charge of a household. And that is true, and in fact, that is biblical. But I want to prove it to you that it is biblical first, and I'm going to allude to a couple of texts in the Old Testament. You don't have to turn there if you don't want. The first will be in Genesis uh, chapter 43, and this is in the in the context of talking about Joseph and the life of Joseph. You remember that Joseph was put over all of Egypt, and in a sense, Joseph served as Pharaoh's steward. Pharaoh was the reigning monarch in Egypt, but Joseph was practically in charge of the nation in his stead, in his place. And so he was the steward over all of Egypt. But did you know that Joseph also had a steward as well? If you remember the story of, the, of all the intrigue between Joseph and his brothers, when they finally met after many years, remember Joseph's brothers uh, jealously sold him into slavery and thought they had sent him off to his death. And then many years later, because of the famine, uh, the, the brothers come back to Egypt and they are confronted with this man who was in charge uh, of, of, of distributing the foodstuffs. And so they don't recognize that it's Joseph. And so Joseph does right away. And so we see here something that's very uh, interesting that will give us an idea of, of understanding what a steward is. If we, if we see in, Luke, I mean in Genesis chapter 43, verse 16, it says this, When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to his house steward, Bring the men into the house and slay an animal and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. And then we look down at verse 19, and it says, So they came near to Joseph's house steward and spoke to him at the entrance of the house. So so it's the house steward who's carrying out these practical details on Joseph's behalf. Joseph had a steward as well who was carrying out these details exactly as he laid it out. And then if we look at Genesis 44, verse 1, um, he says, do you remember who, when he's talking about who was actually put the brothers' money sacks back into their sacks whenever they're going back uh, to see Jacob? Uh, Joseph uh, gives them plenty of food, and he puts their money sacks 
back in their grain and kind of hid it, and so they came across it later. But it says there in verse 1, he says, Then he commanded his house stewards, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. And so it was Joseph's house steward, the man who was in charge of all of Joseph's house, was carrying out these particular details in this interesting story of Joseph's dealings with his brothers. Now, the important thing is this as we look at these texts. Joseph's house did not belong to his steward. Joseph's house belonged to him. It belonged to Joseph. And his steward was administering something that did not belong to him. And his job was to do exactly what his master had bidding was for him to do. And so we get an idea from this that a steward is somebody who is administering something for his master that does not belong to him. But interesting, this, interestingly, the servant is a, the steward is a servant who, because he is a steward, has enormous privileges that go along with those responsibilities. And so he's blessed by administering something which is not his. Now, if we look forward in the Old Testament in Isaiah 22, we come across another uh, passage we see here uh, because we hear of a steward of a city during the time of Isaiah. God's word says in chapter 22, verse 15 of Isaiah, he says, Come, go to this steward, to Shebna, who is in charge of the royal household. Now, this may mean that Shebna is the treasurer, or it may mean that he's not only the treasurer of the royal household, but he's actually in charge of the education of the children also. It may mean both. But whatever the case, this Shebna is in charge of the household, which is not his. It does not belong to him. The treasury of the city, the treasury of the royal household doesn't belong to him, but he's the steward over it. It's his job to administer this particular trust. He's in charge of something that's not his own. So a steward is a servant in charge of a household on behalf of his master as we look at these two texts. In his master's household, there is his master's possessions. It may even be his master's family, but he's in charge of administering it faithfully. And so by seeing this, we see that a steward is a servant in charge of his master's household, and that's what a steward is, and that's what he does. And so with this understanding, let's look at Luke chapter 12 to see... Uh, a more biblical idea uh, as we go into the New Testament of, of how this affects us, how this affects the church. As we look at chapter 12, verse 42 through 48, Jesus here is calling his disciples stewards. He says there in verse 42, Who then is the faithful and wise manager, some of your translations may say steward there, whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food, At the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more." Now, this is an interesting passage. There's a lot here, but I just want to point out one principle that Jesus here is driving home for us 
in this passage that stewards deals with our stewardship. And that is the principle to whom much has been given, much is required. This is an Old Testament and a New Testament principle of stewardship. To whom much has been given, much is required. In this passage, that strange thing, strange thing where Jesus says that those who did not know it and, and committed deeds worthy of a beating will only receive a few strikes from the one who is doing the beating. But the one who knows his master's will but doesn't do it will receive many lashings from the one who is beating. And that's a strange passage. It's designed to show the disciples that because they know much, because God has given them much, because they have heard the true teaching of the Word of God, and because they have been disciples even in the presence of Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God in His earthly ministry, that if they do not faithfully do what God has taught them in His Word through Jesus, then they will be culpable for it in ways that those who have never heard that teaching will not be held to an account, to account as severely. Jesus is stressing the principle here, to whom much has been given, much is required. In other words, and get this, an index of the reality of our discipleship is our faithfulness in our stewardship. And those who have been given much as the disciples will be required much. And so that begs the question for us this morning. Have you been given much? Have I been given much? And what is the answer to that? Definitely. Oh, yes, we have. We've been given very much. We've been given much materially. We've talked about this many times here before. We are no doubt at the top of the list of the most financially blessed Christians in the history of the world. And that means we have an obligation to a wise and faithful stewardship of those resources. Because they're not ours, they don't belong to us. Everything that we have comes from God. Everything. And He gives it to us as stewards. Not so that we can go off and do what we want, but so that we have the privilege of serving in His household and blessing others and doing what He wants. So we have been given much financially, but we've also been given much via the Word of God. We live in a time and in a place where the Word of God is freely accessible and most of us own multiple copies in our homes. And we must not take that lightly. Jesus, in fact, is stressing that in this, pas- in this passage as well as how we use our possessions. And one of the great stewardships that we've all been given is the Word of God. And we haven't been given that Word of God just so that we can enjoy it. We have been given it as a stewardship to use to the blessing of other Christians of those who are growing in grace in this congregation and to share with the world in need of the gospel of our Lord and Savior. And so the main principle we see here about stewardship here in Luke 12 is that to whom much has been given, much is required, and that includes all of us. All of us in this room today are the people who have been given much, whether it be financially or whether it be via the Word of God. We have been given much. And so that is our first principle that we see here. And so now what, what are we stewards of? We've been get, we're accountable. We're, we're, uh, we're accountable before God and He's, He's given us much and He's required much. And so what are we stewards of? And so as we've been studying on Wednesday nights here, uh, we've seen stewardship can be a very broad topic. And really the definition that we've been looking at in that study is that stewardship is everything that we do after we say we believe. So that, that's broad. That covers everything. And we've been looking at our stewardship of our jobs and the stewardship 
uh, uh, of the environment, the stewardship of our neighbors. And we're now getting into looking at the church uh, and the family, and then we're going to finally be looking at our possessions, our, our giving, our, our finances. And so stewardship can be a very broad topic, but I want to focus primarily this morning on three of these uh, because, again, we're in the context of talking about life together, life together in the kingdom, and specifically life together as we serve God in this church. And so what three things do we need to be looking at and challenged with when it comes to stewardship? And so I want to focus this morning on the stewardship of our possessions, uh, again, the, steward, uh, the stewardship of grace, and the steward of being stewards of God's Word. So we'll look at these three this morning. First, we're stewards of our possession. Look again uh, at Luke 12. Look back at verse 33 and see what Jesus says here. He says, Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Now, you know when we read this story, this is in the encounter. This is when Jesus is encountering the rich young ruler. And we, we, we see Jesus' interactions with them. And he, he says here to the rich young ruler who's asking him, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, Sell all your possessions and give to the needy. And so we see him uh, interacting with this rich man, and we say, boy, I'm glad he didn't ask me to do that. (laughs) I don't know. I'm glad I'm not being asked to do that. But yes, we are. We are being asked to do that. Jesus calls calls on us to use all of our possessions in the realization that those possessions belong to God and that we are stewards of them. We've only been given them to use for a purpose. We're not our own. We've been bought with a price. And so that means that fundamentally we need to be thinking about how we're going to use God's money to do God's work. Not how we're going to use a little of our money to help God out do His work. You see, there's a fundamental difference between, there's a world of difference between these two ideas. On one hand, I'm thinking, all of that, all that I have, I give to God to do His work. Or I'm not even giving it to Him. I'm, he's already owns it. So you can't give Him something He already owns. We're, give, we're, we're using it for His purposes in his kingdom that's one that's one way of looking at another way of looking at it is that whatever i have left over after i've done all the things i want to do that's what i will give to god and allow him to use for his kingdom work and so there's a world of difference here as we look at these so i want to look at a couple of 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 other passages in the gospels and 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 zero in on helping us understand this concept that this stuff that that we are stewards of this, our possessions, and especially our finances. Uh, and we're going to have to give an account. Let's uh, flip over a few chapters to Luke chapter 16. This is the parable, uh, Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13, is the parable of the, um, the dishonest manager. Or some of them, some of your Bibles may call it the shrewd manager, and so Jesus is teaching this parable. And I'm not going to read the first the parable itself. I want to key in on Jesus' commentary about the parable, starting down at verse nine. He says, "He says, and I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. <coughs> One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much." And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? 
No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the principal issue here that Jesus is putting forth for us to understand it. That you, you, you either serve one or the other. You can't have it both ways because you're going to be devoted to one and despise the other. Because our hearts are knit to these in a way that they just encompass our whole being and they take everything that we have. And so if we're devoted to our possessions, if we're devoted to the things of this life, if we're devoted to pursuing these things and growing in these things, then we're going away from the Lord and we're not serving the Lord and we cannot be serving Him because we're serving the other. Now, it doesn't say here that, that, let's don't get too crazy with this uh, term here when he calls it unrighteous wealth. That's just the way that Jesus is describing money itself. It doesn't mean that money in itself is bad. It just means what we do with it can be bad because then it begins to rule our hearts. And so Jesus is saying here very clearly for us is that depending on how you use your possessions in this life will depend on how on how much God will bless you later. And so there's a very principle, very uh, clear principle here that he's saying uh, that if, you don't, if you're not faithful in the little, you're not going to be faithful in the greater. And I'm not going to give you the greater. You cannot serve God in money. And so that's the main point I want us to see here. Let's look over at Matthew chapter 25. It's another uh, parable that Jesus teaches. Matthew 25. Verses 14 through 30. Jesus is uh, teaching about His kingdom. And He says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded them, and had, he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have five more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also had given the two talents, came forward, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have two more. And his master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I came, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reaped where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into outer darkness, and that place will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what does this have to do with our stewardship? These men, these three people, were giving something to steward for the master to take care of the master. They were giving different uh, d- uh, different amounts 
And so according to their ability. That's not the issue about what they were given. The issue is what they did what, with what they were given. And so this, the first two did exactly what they were supposed to do. They took that and they managed it and they stewarded it and they, and, they, and they invested it and they worked with it and they made more for the master. And so they were involved in his work. They were involved in doing his duties. But this third guy, he did not love the master. He did not care for the master. And that's the one key thing we need to get from this parable is that in the first two, there was a love for the master. Remember the, the previous parable we just read where it says, you cannot serve God and money. You will either hate the one and love the other, despise the one and be devoted to the other. And so there is a, they're diametrically opposed. And so we see that being worked out here in these three men. The first two had a love for the master, which in this case is representative of God himself. And they went and did the master's duty. They worked for him in his kingdom. But this third this third fellow, he did nothing. He had no love for the master. He even he even slandered him, you know, because he's accusing him of being a harsh master. He he had the wrong idea of who this who his master was. He knew that he thought that he was going to be a tyrant, but he was not. And so at the very end, what was the results? The, the first two entered into the joy of their master. They were commended by their master. But this last guy, he was cast away. He was cast away as a worthling servant, servant in out, into the outer darkness. And so this issue of stewardship is a very big issue for us to wrestle with. It's not about the amounts that we have. It's not about that I don't have enough to work with here in order to do the work that God has given me to do. That is not the issue because all of them were given different amounts by their master. And he wasn't depending on... It wasn't about how much they gave him. It's about what they did with what he gave them. And that's the issue that we must understand when we're looking at stewardship. Because all of us will get to get into this mindset that I don't have enough I don't have enough money to give to the church or I don't have enough time to give to the church or I don't have enough this or enough that if I only had more of this I would be more faithful that is not the issue God is not waiting asking you to get to a certain point to where you begin to be obedient and be faithful he's saying be faithful in a little and you, and then later you will be faithful in much John Wesley uh, says this about uh his 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 finances he says when I have money, I get rid of it quickly, lest it find a way into my heart. When I have money, I get rid of it quickly. Now, some of us might use that same mindset. I'll get rid of it quickly, but only on myself. That's not what Wesley's saying. He's saying, when I have money, I quickly use it for a purpose in the kingdom. Because if I hold on to it too long, it will begin to find its way into my heart and begin to infect me in ways that I don't want to be. And so he says, I am quickly getting rid of it. I'm quickly using it for my master's work. Now supposedly, I don't know if this is true, but I, I read this. Supposedly there's a church in Atlanta which when you join requires you to send that church your paycheck and then they give you whatever is that your portion you're supposed to keep. So you give them your paycheck, they take out what they think is the right amount and give you back. Uh, you're, what you're supposed to keep. So my question is, how would y'all like to try that? Y'all think that would work? Y'all think that would work? Oh, well, I mean, it would it would make sure that they had the money they were looking for. But that's not what that's not what giving is. That's not what stewardship is, right? The money doesn't belong to the church. The money belongs to God, and He gives it to us to use in His kingdom, which is the church is a major part of that. 
And so that's a, a beautiful point here for us to look at is if you could think of that in terms of the Lord owning everything that we have. And He graciously gives it to us to do as we, not to do as we please, but so that we might have the privilege of being good stewards of that bounty that He's given us. He's entrusted to us and generously doing His business uh, with what He's supplied us to do. And so we need to see that God has given us great possessions. And again, we are in the top 1% or 2% of the most financially wealthy people in the history of the world. And so there, is, there, is, there has been great bounty given to us all. And so God is asking us, what are you doing with it? Are you using it for my work? Or do you just give me a little bit that's left over after you're done with what you want to do? Those are diametrically opposed ideas, and one is clearly biblical and the other is not. Now, there's a lot to consider when it comes to the, to the stewardship of our possessions and, stu- and giving and, and you know, questions about how much should I give, who should I give it to, when should I give. And so there's a lot here, and I'm not going to focus on these things this morning. In fact, by God's providence, we're going to be beginning this, this Wednesday night looking at stewardship of our finances and giving. And so if you want to delve in deeper into this concept, come out on Wednesday night because we're going to be studying that for the next two or three weeks. And so we need to understand that God has given us much possessions, and so He's asked us to use it for His kingdom. Next, I want us to look at that we're stewards of God's grace. Now, that may seem strange, but uh, <clears throat> flip over to 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter 4, I'm only going to read one verse, and so if you don't get there, I'm going to go ahead and read it, and uh, it's very short. He says, Peter says here, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as, God's, as good stewards of God's varied grace. As each, Peter's saying, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So what is he saying here? The point is this. That in God's mercy, He has poured out on us not only possessions, but He has poured out on us spiritual gifts that He's been given by His grace to us. Those gifts may be manifestations of of particular abilities designed to be used for the welfare of our congregation. They may be consequences of the fruit of the Spirit, such as love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. They may be some of those gifts that are listed in Romans 12 or Galatians 5. You remember not too long ago we talked about the issue of spiritual gifts. So whatever, whatever uh, uh, the case is here, Peter is emphasizing that those things which the Spirit has given us are God's and they belong to God. They are gifts of the Spirit to be used as a stewardship, to be used for serving one another. Listen to his language again. Each one has received a special gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. What God has given us, not only in terms of possessions, but what He's given us in terms of spiritual gifts and abilities, He expects us, and no no doubt He demands of us, to use them as stewards to serve one another. That's why they're given in the first place, not for our benefit, for others. And so... I'm not going to go back over the issue of spiritual gifts, but I want to focus on one particular thing that I think impacts this very uh, a, a great amount. And that is being stewards of our time, being good stewards of the time that we have. Um, 
the book Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life by Donald Whitney. I encourage you, if you don't have a copy of that, to get it. I think he has some copies back there on that table. And he has a chapter on stewardship. And one of the issues he talks about in there is our management, our stewardship of our time. Now, we all know we struggle with that. We all struggle with managing our time. And so he has several um, helpful points to be made about this. And I want to just, uh, I just picked out a few of them I want to go over with you today. And the first one he says, uh, he asked the question, are we managing our time wisely? <coughs> and so from that we get some principles like use time wisely because the days are evil. Uh, and he gets that from Ephesians 5. Look carefully, uh, Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. I mean, that speaks for itself, right? The days are evil and the days have always been evil. But no doubt the days are evil so we... We have all these things working against us, uh, taking our time and our devotion away from God. And he's saying, make best use of the time. You have to devote yourself. You have to take it as a stewardship, as something that's been given to you. And you must manage it well in order to make the best use. And what is the best use of our time? Serving God in His kingdom. uh, Promoting His kingdom. Bringing forth His kingdom. And so we must use it wisely. The second thing he says here is that time is very short. Uh, James says in chapter 4, Come now you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. That's our description. You know, we're a mist. When you, when you look at a tombstone in a graveyard, you see a beginning date and an ending date, right? And, but what's in the middle? A dash. And that dash is what? It's a mist. You know, some, of the, some people may live to be 100 years old, 110 years old, but if God so blesses. Some people only live to be 70 or 60. Some people don't live that long at all. Whatever it is, it's a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. We only have so much time. It's very short. And so we need to be uh, walking through life understanding that, that this is what we have and we don't have a lot of it. And so we need to be redeeming the time, making the best use of the time, because it is short. <clears throat> Another point is that the remaining time that we have is uncertain. Uh, the writer of Proverbs says in 27.1, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Do, and does any of you know for sure you will be here tomorrow? No, no one. No one knows for sure whether they will even make it out of this day. This may be literally our last day here on this planet today. And so we need to be making the best use of our time because it is uncertain. Another principle is that time lost cannot be regained. Jesus says in John 9, We must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Paul also says in Philippians 3, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do... Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so these two uh, texts here are are showing us that time is short, but it's also, once it's gone, it's gone. Jesus is saying here, uh, work while it is today. Today it is the day. There is a time when it's going to be night and what that's representative of of when is that there is no more time, it's over. And so we need to work as if the day, this may be the last day. 
because it is short. But Paul is also giving us another part of this principle when he says, uh, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal. Now, did Paul have things in his life and his past that could, that could cause him great grief? Absolutely he did. And you'll see in a couple of places you've seen him talk about those things, how he persecuted the church. And so he had a past that wore heavily upon him. And so he has a choice to make. Am I going to let my past defeat me where I'm of no use now? Or am I going to, cont- or am I going to put that behind me and realizing that, that all that I've done, uh, that, that there's, there's, there's time to put that behind me, that I can, there, things can be forgiven, things can be moved past, and I must move forward because if I take all that with me, what use are you going to be? You can't do anything because you've got a backpack full of baggage that you're carrying forward with you, and you cannot do the work that God has for us to do. And so Paul says here, I forget what lays behind and I move forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the call of Jesus Christ. I'm pressing forward. We make mistakes every day. We, 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 we don't make good use of our time. We do things that we shouldn't do, and we, sh- we should work on those. We should not ignore those. Paul is not saying, I just go through life and ignore my sin. He's saying, when I've dealt with those things and when I've, when I've been forgiven, when things have been dealt with, I do not carry it forward with me. I move on. There are things that are before me that I must do. And the big thing that we see, I think, from the Scriptures as far as our time is that we're going to be accountable to God for how we use it. Romans 14 says, So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now, this is not a salvific giving an account. That's been dealt with on the cross. So this is talking about something else. So what could it be talking about? It's talking about the deeds that we do in our body. And so I don't, there's a lot of mystery there. I don't know what all that's about. I'm, that's not, that doesn't mean you're going to have less salvation. The cross is, is the same for everybody. Our forgiveness is in Christ, and you can't detract from that or add from that. But there is something that we're going to give an account for, and there's something going to happen there. And so we need to be making best use of our time because we are going to give an account. So all of these things are, are challenging us because as we're, we're being good stewards of God's very grace, as we're serving and working in the church, as we're uh, finding out the areas that God has gifted us, we need to be managing our time. But we can't just sit around and say, I... I just don't have the time or I I just don't think I'm good enough or I don't have enough Bible knowledge or I don't have enough this or that. And when I get there, that's when I'll get up. That's not what God is asking us to do. He's saying, take what you have at this moment, get up and use it. Work in it. Work in my kingdom. Make the best use of your time and your gifts because after all, they're not our abilities, right? They've been given to us. They're gifts of God's very grace. He's given it to us and we're going to use them through His power, through the Holy Spirit as we serve them for one another. And so we're stewards of our possessions. We're stewards of God's very grace. And we're also stewards of God's Word. Mostly, of course, this is speaking to the elders of God's church or the preachers of God's church of being stewards of the Word. But it does, uh, but it does include us all. Look, uh, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 4, <coughs> 1 through 2, Paul says, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. And so Paul says here he's a steward of the mysteries of God. What is he talking about there? 
Well, in the mysteries in the New Testament means something that was once concealed and has now been revealed in the concealed in the Old Testament, been revealed in the New Testament. Uh, something under the Old Testament that was set forth in shadows and types, which has come to to fulfillment and light in the reality of the New Testament and the reality of Christ Himself. And so Paul speaks of ministers as being stewards of the mysteries of God, and he elaborates this elsewhere. For instance, he speaks in first in Colossians one twenty five. He says. He says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. And so the word of God and the preaching of the word of God is again conceived by Paul as a stewardship, something that he's been given and entrusted with to use. And so that is God has given us spiritual, he's given us graced gifts by his spirit. He's been, he's given us possessions and he's given us his word to steward. And so, the last question I want to look at today is that what are the qualities of good stewards? That's what, that's what we need to understand, right? What is God is putting these things forth for us to use in His kingdom. And so what kind of qualities should we be looking for? What, type, what kind of person should we be to be a faithful steward? Well, you've already heard Paul, I just read it in 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2, talk about the importance of faithfulness, trustworthiness. And Jesus stresses the same thing in Luke twelve forty two. The good steward is faithful. But the main thing I want to emphasize here is what Peter says in First Peter one ten or four ten. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. There's what Peter's telling us. He says we we're good stewards. We do what we serve one another. You can't get away from that concept, can you? It's, it's everywhere. It comes out in everything that we are not here for ourselves. We are not here in our own little uh, uh, vacuum or pocket of, or, of just my world, me and Jesus type thing going on. It's all of us together or it's none of us. We're here to serve one another and that's what, this, that's what we're here to be. That's one of the main uh, qualities of a good steward is that we're faithful in doing that, that we serve one another. And that other focus zeroes in on several different spheres. First of all, it zeroes in on our own congregation here, our serving those in our congregation, ministering to those who are in need here, ministering to those who need to be built up in the Word here, to the children of our congregation, ministering to the various groups and aspects of our congregation, the various ministries. And broad, But broader than that, it means ministering to all Christians, serving them and seeking to bless them. And then beyond that, it means ministering to the world, ministering God's Word, bringing the gospel to the world. All of that is involved in the stewardship that God has entrusted to us. And so a very key principle here, and I want you to get this if you don't get anything, is that our faithfulness and stewardship is an index of the truth of our profession of faith in Christ. Our faithfulness in our stewardship is an index or a a sign or a fruit of the truth of our profession of faith in Christ. So what do stewards do? They are stewards over God's household, His possessions which He has graciously granted to them, His grace gifts and His words, His word. And we're to use them in a serving spirit with the qualities of faithfulness and devotion and trustworthiness for the sake of others. And so the good steward will be God-centered and grace-transformed and word-ordered and Christ-intoxicated and church-anchored and mission-focused as he uses everything that God has given him to use in his kingdom work. 
I want to close by reading one other text of Scripture. I want to ask that you turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, and the context of it, Jesus has been uh, dealing with the Pharisees and their constant demand for signs and trying to get him to prove that he is the the, the Messiah that he claims to be. And then, and then Jesus asked, um, you know, the question to his disciples, "Who do men think that I am? Who do they say that I am?" And then some people say John the Baptist, some say Jeremiah, a uh, prophet, you know. And then, but then Jesus asked his disciples, "Well, who do you think I am?" And then, of course, Peter makes his uh, probably one of the greatest things he said uh, in his in ministry with Jesus. Most of the time he was saying things that he was um, ashamed of later. But here he says very clearly, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so Christ says, Peter, blessed are you. You hit the nail on the head. Everybody's got this idea of who I am and they're wrong. But you understand that I am the Christ and I have come to set up my kingdom. And I have a kingdom that is not of this world. And you are the disciples of my kingdom. You are the first, uh, the, the first fruits of that kingdom, the first ones to enter into that kingdom with Christ. And He's teaching them and preparing them for their ministries going forward as they're going to be the foundation of that church, of that kingdom, in their writings later. But then Jesus, at the end of, of chapter 16 and verse 24, He says <laughs> something very important for us to to wrestle with today. He says, Jesus told His disciples, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for My sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay each according to what He has done. There's that principle again of an account, giving an account. But Jesus is getting them ready for that. He's saying that that the Son of Man is going to come one day with His angels. And and He he goes on to teach about that in other places of Scripture where nobody knows when that's going to happen. You know, we, we, we live in this imminent idea that it's going to come at any time. But, no, but even those them 2,000 years ago thought that it could be coming any time. And so you need to live with the anticipation, understanding that it may come at any time. That account will be given. But Jesus gives them a principle to live by in the meantime so that they're ready when that happens. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's what Jesus is asking of us. It's that simple. Take up your cross and follow me. What does that mean? When Jesus told these disciples to take up their cross, what did they think He mean? To put a little pendant of a cross around their neck and wear it around all day as a piece of jewelry? No, absolutely not. They knew that He was talking about dying to themselves. Literally dying. When you mention the cross, that was the instrument of death. And He's telling them as He had to carry His cross through the streets before His crucifixion, they're asking, he's asking them to live in that every day as if you're about to die. Walk with your cross and deny yourself. 
Because he says, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's kind of a paradox there, right? If we seek to, to gain our life and, our, and, and promote our life and our wishes and our wants in this life, we think that we're getting ahead. We think we're doing things that we, we, we enjoy those things. They feel good to us, right? But, at the, but in the end, we're actually losing. We're losing our lives. Because he's saying if we're living for ourselves in this life, you're not, going, you're not, you're not fit for my kingdom in the afterlife. You're not going to be a part of, of being with me later. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We cast our lives aside. We cast our desires away. We, 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 we pick up our cross and we say, my life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. And the things that I want, I put those aside for the things that He wants. And by doing that, the world looks at us as if we're crazy, right? We're giving up all the, all, all the fun things that the world loves to do and we're crazy. And then from their eyes, I see that they would un- they, why they would say that. But we, when we do that, they don't understand this concept, but we do, that we're gaining something far greater. Uh, I think Jim Elliott said, I don't know if I can get the quote right, he says, he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That was Jim Elliott's commentary. And you remember, what did Jim Elliott do? He gave up his life for the kingdom. He was martyred in Ecuador, going to the nations to give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And But before that happened, his principle, his life, the way he lived his life, he said, he is, I am no fool to leave the, the, the relative safety of America and go down to this foreign land that I know nothing about and these hostile Indians. I am no fool to give up what I cannot keep to gain what I cannot lose. What could he not keep? His own life. His life was not his. The things that he could have gained here by staying in here, they would have been only a mist in the end. They would have meant nothing. And so he's saying, I set all that aside. I gave that up because I could not keep it anyway to gain what I could not lose. And what did he gain that he did not lose? The blessing of God. The blessing of God. I read it a while ago in um, in Matthew 25. And these are the words that we want to hear one day. These are the words that you want to hear. When Jesus was talking to the to the faithful servants of the five talents and the two talents. What did he say after he came to, to, uh, to, they had to give account to him? He said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. And here it is. Enter into the joy of your master. That's what you want to hear. That's what Jim Elliott has heard and will hear at the end. He gave up the things that were fleeting to gain what he could not lose, to hear these words of his master, enter into the joy of your master. David Brainerd, the the great uh, missionary to the Indians, he died in his 20s. He didn't really get hardly any time at all to, to, to see any great fruit coming from his efforts. But was that a waste? Absolutely not. Whatever God is going to use, he used him to, to promote his, his, his kingdom. And so it's not about the increase. It's not about the fruit. It's about our faithfulness and our trustworthiness with the stewardship that God has given us. And that encompasses all of our lives. It encompasses our possessions. It encompasses what we do in the church with our gifts. And it encompasses the Word of God. 
And so we need to be about denying ourselves, taking up our cross. You know, it's hard for American Christians to deny the thing, the trappings of this world, is it not? I mean, we've got so many niceties and trinkets and uh, things that just vie for our time and devotion and affection. And, and those things are not necessarily evil in of themselves. But when, they, when we go after them in such a way that they become our God, then they have become evil. And we, need to, we have to throw them aside and say, I'm taking up my cross and I'm going to live as a steward of God in His kingdom because He's my master. And I want to hear those words, enter into the joy of your master. Do you want to hear those words? And let's serve God as good stewards because we've been given much and much is required of us. And we need to serve God as He is our master. It's His household. It's not ours. Nothing that we have is ours. We've been given to use for His purposes and for His glory. May God bless us to be faithful stewards of His house. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for being the gracious and loving master of Your household. Father, our our hearts are, are... are going in different directions in many times as our affections are going towards the things of this life. And even though, Lord, those things are not necessarily bad, but when they become our God, they have, they have become evil. They have become idols in our life. And so all of us struggle with this, Father. And so I pray, God, that you would help us all to do the hard work of searching our hearts to see, uh, to, Uh, to evaluate the stewardship that you've given us, knowing, Father, that you were going to ask us to give an account one day. We're going to stand before you and give an account for what we have done with what you've given us. And you have given us so much. And I pray, God, that all that we have would be things that we use for the furtherance of your kingdom, that you may get the glory and not us. And we ask, God, that you would help us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow you. And we do long to hear those words one day, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. May we all in this room hear those words, Father. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.